Hello and welcome to Economic and Political Weekly's podcast show Research Radio. I'm your host Abhishek and every week I give you a behind the scenes tour where academics tell us about their research. We learn details about their field work, what they didn't include in their published article, how research can further equity and much more. This week we'll speak to Professor Rohini Sani and Professor V Kalyan Shankar about waste. How does it become valuable? Who owns it? Households, municipalities, waste pickers or private contractors? They'll also be focusing on how Pune's waste pickers organize themselves through unions and cooperatives and what led them to become waste pickers. Waste is a topic that affects all our lives and there's a lot to learn about what happens to something once you discard it. Professor Shankar teaches at the Symbiosis School of Economics in Pune and he holds a PhD in economics. Professor Rohini Sani is a development economist and has previously taught at the Savitribai Phule Pune University where she was head of the department of economics together they co-edited the book Prostitution and Beyond an analysis of sex workers in India Thank you so much for joining us Professor Shankar and Professor Sani Thank you It's it's a pleasure to be invited by the EPW who owns waste and what makes this a complicated question to answer waste is commonly understood as degree 0 of value but this is a fairly simplistic kind of description now the utilitarian value of a particular good may be over for a user but the material part of the value continues to exist and we can we can take the example of say an empty bottle of coke or pepsi it does not have any value for the consumer anymore but this soft drink bottle comes in many different packaging forms I and mean, you could have a metal can uh, or an aluminum can uh, you could have a glass bottle or you could have a plastic pet bottle now all of these materials continue to hold the value and and therefore the issue of ownership becomes important because there's a fair bit of valuation still left in it Officially speaking uh the waste belongs to the households until they have it whichever you know plastic bottles paper any other kind of waste that they may have in the house it is still theirs until they throw it into the public bin when they throw it into the public bin it becomes municipal property so it is owned by municipality in officially actually but since all waste is looked upon by almost everyone except waste pickers that it has no value you know it is worthless so even the municipality doesn't really bother about it and it is not like a valuable thing which should be safeguarded so it is not safeguarded at all and and waste pickers who uh, eke out a living from this waste uh, see the value in it and they with their segregation work and sorting out and putting together plastic in one place and metal in another place whatever recyclables they find they they take it from the public bins and own it uh, through their labor you know so it is it is through their labor that uh, the value of waste actually surfaces if you will not labor on it then it is just a lump of waste and it's worthless and it is ready to be sent to landfill so you know that sort of now why is this complicated question to answer it is it is very concrete when it is in the household but once it reaches the public bin it becomes fuzzy nobody really bothers you know so it is whatever a plastic packet is fallen on a footpath whom does it belong nobody actually you know but in principle according to a municipal act it belongs to the municipality you know but the municipality is least bothered about it and so then it begins to belong to a waste picker uh huh 
And what made you interested in studying about waste and the relationship between waste pickers, municipalities and private contractors? I would personally say that, see, for instance, in my own house, over the years, the kind of and the amount of waste that I keep throwing every day, I just see that about 20 years ago, I had a waste bin, which was a tiny one. It doesn't suffice anymore. I need a huge bucket, you know, to throw whatever I I bring home. You know, a, a shirt, if you buy a shirt in a shop, it is wrapped so much. The shirt is only a small part of the whole packaging, you know. So, I find myself that we are creating more and more waste as individuals, as households. Even in the university, I see so much paper being thrown. By the end of the, uh, the waste pickers used to come to the university, by the end of the week, a huge bucket would be filled by all kinds of waste, plastic, paper, etc. So firstly, I realized myself that I am creating a whole lot of waste. Similarly, you I'm driving in the road, I see a truck carrying waste. I don't like it. I try to avoid it. You know, I try to avoid if something is dirty. I try to avoid if a public place is full of waste. So I, although I am creating waste, I avoid it as much as I can. When I saw women rummaging through it in their, uh, you know, bare hands and, you know, in, you know chappal even, no mask, I said, you know, what kind of precarious labor is this? Yes, it's clearly highly unsafe. Were there one or two specific experiences you'd like to share from your fieldwork? When me and Kalyan, we started working on a paper of how waste picking gets inherited as a labor form. And we went and met this wonderful older woman called Pagabai, who was very generous with her time and, you know, she was so sweet to us. We would go to her house. She lived in a slum near the university and we would visit her and ask her questions and record it. And she would repeat whatever we said we didn't understand. Now, she comes from hinterlands of Maharashtra and she lived in a little village and she hardly, she did go to school until about third, fourth standard. And then she got married and she went to her husband's place. She used to work as agricultural labor. In the husband's house, she also again started working as an agricultural labor. And then in 1972 came the huge drought in Maharashtra and their families became really impoverished. And uh, there was no agricultural work. And she with her husband came to Pune and started living here near the university where there was a huge colony which was being constructed. And they, the husband found work uh, as a construction labor uh, in that uh, colony building. And uh, she did not know what to do. And she started begging to begin with, begging for food. Then her mother-in-law was a waste picker. So her mother-in-law taught her uh, how to, what to choose and what to pick and what not to pick. And so Pagabai became a waste picker. And she started uh, picking waste in, uh, in the area around the university and uh, in Aund and Khadki area. And she go, went on making a, a small and a larger living. As the, as the city grew and as the consumption grew, her income from waste also began to grow because she could find more plastic and more paper and more metal, etc. She has five daughters and all of them are waste pickers, but they work in Swatch. 
so their work is cleaner so we saw how a person gets into waste picking and we saw how they pass it on to the next generation as from the mother in law to pagabai and from pagabai to her five daughters who pick up waste segregated now from door to door which pagabai didn't do neither did her mother in law so you know there is a change in the in the way the occupation is worked out and the way it is inherited and we found that insight uh, very very valuable aha uh-huh. and so the drought pushed people towards waste picking as an occupation the, the drought uh, led to migration and migration into the cities meant that they had to find work which was city related not uh, not do agricultural labor any so they had to do something else which the city would offer and one of the thing without any capital the city offers is waste picking particularly for women the men also pick waste but we will come to that in a little while but the itinerant plastic waste picking and uh, public bin waste picking is primarily done by women you know so the migration the drought are the background to this yes we definitely will get to this switching gears a bit for now you've written that government bodies are not able to process the scale and diversity of waste generated in cities today why is this the process of scale and diversity of waste uh, is so big it is so big because it's not just household waste Uh, which we throw the vegetables and plastic and so on and newspapers but also construction debris then waste uh, that is medical or sanitary waste you know there is e- extremely high diversity of waste that comes from uh, various places like hospitals or railway stations or public bins and roads everywhere and so there is a requirement to segregate this waste whichever from wherever and however it has come medical waste has to be handled very carefully uh, similarly even those that comes from household you can't mix newspaper uh, with sanitary napkins with vegetables cut with plastic you know so these have to be segregated now and segregated and the recyclables have to be recycled they have to they have to leak out from there and the rest goes to the landfill now this whole process is requires a huge amount of monetary resources technical vehicular resources infrastructure micro level planning you know it requires a management which has to have a lot of people involved and paid people with minimum wages insurance etc and the municipality is incapable of doing that a municipality alone cannot do this it will not be able to do anything else you know it is it's a huge task and so they team up with private players they team up with cooperatives of uh, waste pickers and so a certain kinship begins to develop between the the state or the municipality and the waste pickers who have a union and private players who also take waste and throw it on the on the landfill and they also use their resources to do recycling now when we get to the issue of diversity when we from uh, when we talk to waste pickers or from what we have heard from them 
there used to be uh, fewer firms existent in previously so in say in the in the course of the 80s plastics wasn't particularly that big a form of waste so a lot of uh, what waste pickers would collect would be actually uh, paper paper related stuff but in the course of the 1990s 2000s you find that plastic consumption uh, use of carry bags use of other forms of plastics has grown quite enormously and we have we start finding newer streams of waste getting into the public domain and therefore uh, just to relate to what i was saying previously even the municipal departments are now actually filled with engineers just to understand the technicalities of what to do with waste what kind of technologies can be used for processing of waste and uh, given the diversity of materials that we have because even plastics for instance is just a broad category it has you know hard plastics soft plastics multilayered plastic for instance is another uh, very uh, very important form of plastic which is grown quite enormously in the uh, in, in the public domain so all of our you know regular packet of chips for instance they all get packaged in what is called as multilayered plastic so these are actually from what we understand uh, uh, or to put it in more uh, layman's terms these are actually layers of plastic and metal perhaps or two layers of plastic fused together and which then become very difficult to to process any further so uh, there is a diversity in terms of different packaging forms that has uh, gotten into the public domain and it's it's difficult for any urban local body to be able to handle this uh, diversity of forms that are uh, that they are expected to handle actually the other part of your question deals with issues of kinship if we could think of it this way uh, waste pickers are, are perhaps the only formidable party which is actually making waste productive they are they are the ones who are initiating this sort of virtuous cycle of of a circular economy and, and this is something which uh, should be one of the objectives of the municipal corporation actually in in a way the waste pickers are the ones taking that objective forward at the same time there is also a fairly uh, strong economic dimension to this uh, kinship because all of this labor which the waste pickers undertake this is something that they are doing out of their own interest but at the same time they are saving the municipal corporation a fair bit of money because all of these recyclable materials which are then weaned away from the municipal uh, collection systems it means that the municipality now has a lesser number of vehicles or rather a, a lesser amount of volume or weight of waste to be transported to some of its own waste handling facilities so in a way uh, this free labor of waste pickers is actually saving the municipal corporation a lot of money right and can you tell me more about the waste chain how does waste move from those who create it to groups involved in processing it now if we think of the formal chains it is usually uh, handled by the municipal body so they are uh, involved in the collection transportation disposal of of waste and they are the ones who are handling all of these different nodes here on the other hand you have the informal chains which get kick started through the labor of informal waste pickers they are the ones who involved in the process of collection sorting grading segregation accumulation of waste and uh, then subsequently they sell it over to the scrap dealers and the scrap dealers also accumulate uh, all of these different forms which are being sold to them and when they have a sufficient quantity they sell it off further to wholesalers who typically deal with only one recyclable form and then uh, the wholesalers send it over further to the recyclers so there are these two parallel chains that we have to think of uh, as far as waste is concerned 
Now, the other question you had was regarding who benefits from this, right? It's, it's a little uh, difficult to look at it from the lens of benefits because, you know, for the municipality, it is a function which they would have to perform in the interest of public health, really. And they are the ones responsible for waste handling. As far as the waste pickers are concerned, uh, they are the ones who are uh, sort of operating at the interstices of these nodes, somewhere in between collection and transportation or between transportation and disposal. And they are the ones who are collecting materials away from the public bin and then they are uh, selling it off further as recyclables and making a living out of it. So this is how the, the mapping of benefits is there. At what stages does waste become valuable and what sort of hierarchies affect who can profit off this value? In case of some forms of waste, the households themselves are conscious of the value of it. And this is, uh, you know, uh, something that we commonly see as far as maybe say newsprint is concerned. We sell raddi, right? It's a, it's a form of waste which the households are monetizing upon. So there are some forms where the households do realize the value of it and then they don't uh, sell it off uh, or rather they don't put it into the bin directly. On the other hand, uh, we end up putting a whole range of other materials into the bin and there it becomes a question of being able to collect it, segregate it, sort it and that is where the value comes through. Now uh, for this value to be realized I think it becomes important to accumulate waste in certain volume. Uh, without those volumes it is not possible to monetize upon them because waste pickers are not in a position to sell it off on a day-to-day -day basis so they'll sell it off only when they have accumulated a certain volume of it. So uh, for this again they require assistance in the form of maybe uh, spaces where they could store waste. So waste is monetizable but only when you have some volumes of it and you require spaces where you create those volumes or you require sorting sheds where waste pickers could sit and sort out waste. And these are all issues which over the years the trade union of waste pickers in Pune has been working on. So they have articulated some of these demands with the urban local bodies here for access to spaces where they can sit and sort at the same time access to spaces where they can store waste. Storage is, is, is a very important facet of it, especially if you're not generating very large volumes on a daily basis, you can't really sell off that waste. Like say, for example, you could take the case of, say, uh, metal. Now, metal typically could be, you know, uh, used up containers of maybe, say, talcum powders, canned food. Now, that metal has a fair bit of value. Metal fetches a fair bit of valuation in the waste markets. But then it is not generated in large enough quantities. And therefore, uh, unless a certain amount of volume gets generated, the waste pickers can't really sell it off further. Because somebody has to then bear the cost of transportation in between. Uh -huh. And you've also written about how women and men's access to capital affect their ability to derive value from waste. Can you tell me more about this? There is a very, very strong uh, gender gender perspective to waste picking. And we can, I mean, offhand notice that if a woman is collecting waste, then she just has a sack on her shoulder. So she has to herself carry whatever she has collected. Whereas if you see men on the streets, they have a push cart. The Raddiwala or the newspaper fellow is going on cycles. They go on tempos, you know. Now, the thing is that waste, as Kalyan just said, is to do with volumes. So, plastic bottle, like the Pepsi bottle that we throw, 
is uh, very light you see but if it is 1 kg there there are 1 kg of these bottles then it it fetches some 13 to 15 rupees you know per kilo but now imagine 1 kilo of these bottles how big the volume will be so the value can be extracted if you have the capacity to store and carry uh this this volume you know this volume or uh the weight and women as a rule do not have any capital they work with their only with their hands and their legs they just labor and they segregate whereas men when they go to get waste the household sell them newspapers so they don't have to segregate any further you know they just have got it all you know in in one go and they can immediately go take their uh, pushcart to the uh, raddiwala scrap shop and and sell it there so men have a certain advantage over women that is one secondly we have also noticed amongst waste pickers there is uh, in swatch for example there is a whole lot of husband and wife team that is uh, that is collecting door to door waste you know but it is the woman who is segregating and the man who is doing a more labor intensive carrying it perhaps or you know putting it together etc so actually women end up doing a lot of dirty work so dirty work is all the time done by the women and the cleaner part of the work is done by men similarly husband wife team suppose they have a son now that son then nowadays in i have noticed that son becomes a tempo driver you know so that there is a hierarchy of work within the community uh, of waste pickers so the very very bottom is the woman and uh, without any capital whatever capital she may accumulate may go to her son to become a driver you know so uh, she stays at the same place you can already understand the gender dimension here by the way we address them so it's a raddi wala or a bhangar wala so the the gender dimension already reflects through the way we address them correspondingly we have a female version of this uh, which is called as uh, dabba batli wali which is a slightly female uh, or rather a, a female version of a, a similar occupation here the other aspect is that as you sort of move up the ladder uh, the informal ladder you tend to find that there are hardly any women here because the scrap dealers wholesalers recyclers are typically never women so women are the one who are into the the retrieving of that value but then they have to sell it off further and in the further levels of the chain there's hardly any any any, any women and it seems to me to be not just about the gender difference to valuable waste but even the precariousness and danger that comes with directly handling wastes would you like to say more about that about the bodily impact that would have the load of carrying things and using your hands to go through glass shards and other dangerous waste women are doing the dirty work you know and that dirty work is also the precarious work which is as you are saying is suppose she is segregating glass and it is broken glass there could be needles there could be any other dangerous things not physically dangerous but full of viruses or you know bad for health kind of material which she is handling with her bare hands and another thing which will come a little later as well which is she is working in a very dirty space where the, where there are dogs there are rats you know there are pigs and she is competing with them and she is segregating and trying to save uh, something for herself so not only is she in a in a uh, gender wise uh, below at the bottom level she is also in the most precarious space 
and how are roles stratified along caste in the waste chain as far as caste is concerned um, we have been working largely with informal waste pickers and from what we know they all uh, or a very large number of them belong to a community called the matangs that is the, the caste from where a lot of waste pickers do come through but at the same time i think we also have to look at a lot of migrants who get into waste collection so uh, previously uh, as i said uh, a lot of the matangs who came into the city uh, especially in the course of the 1970s they were the ones who in the later years did get into waste collection and these are uh, the ones who have now become the more entrenched community of waste pickers in the city they are the ones who became part of the trade union then they extended that further through the formation of swach which is a cooperative so they have had their own journey in the city but at the same time in the uh, recent decade or so there have been newer waves of migrants who are getting into the city and these are not from within the state so they don't really have that defined caste identity locally i mean they could be belonging to marginalized communities in other states but they don't have a similar status in uh, when when they come over here so there is this internal dynamic which has to be considered of caste from within the state and caste from outside the state and who is doing what here and increasingly we find that there are a fair bit of migrants who are getting reduced to working in waste uh, or rather when they do get into the city uh, waste becomes one of the early occupations that they can get into without any kind of capital something that we have uh, discussed earlier and uh, these are the ones who now compete uh, with the earlier wave of migrants in the city and that we have we still have to figure out how that competition uh, sort of plays out on the ground it is it's it's, it's a dynamic thing and at least least in one part of the city we have a community who are colloquially referred as the untawale the the camel people these are migrants from agriculturally distressed parts of northern india and who have gotten into waste so unlike in the previous wave where uh, it is the women who uh, got into waste collection in the city we now have households getting into waste uh, so when we talk of the untawale the, the wife and husband the family as a unit could be into collection of waste so this is a dynamic process and we are still trying to figure out what is going to happen uh, vis-a-vis this 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 competition for waste and it's a waste as a activity is uh, there are no barriers to entry as such so uh, we we believe that every new wave of distressed migration could uh, then lead to people getting into waste really uh-huh and could you contextualize some of the broader processes in the city and rural areas that have changed waste pickers livelihoods i can give you an example you see this very pagabai whom i we know and i know her daughter well we talked to her about various issues and we found out that she uh, was working in waste i mean she is still she is part of swach but unlike pagabai pagabai used to pick waste the whole day she didn't have time for anything else she picked waste from road side etc and she had to cook uh, at home and look after her own household so her day was occupied with that whereas her daughter has a definite hours of work of door to door waste collection and then collecting them and so she gets free by 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the afternoon and as a result she uh, got through a training program for stitching clothes and she stitches now at home she has bought herself a machine a sewing machine and she uh, she stitches clothes for uh, the people who live around her you know 
Also, she goes to, uh, she drives a cycle, unlike Pagabai, unlike her mother. She drives a cycle to go to her work for waste picking, for other things, you know. So there is, although, so you see, there is a inheritance of waste picking as a labor form. However, the daughter is at a better foothold and, and in a better, she, she has more access to capital and she can make decisions of doing waste only part-time or not doing it and if she finds something else more lucrative and better she may give up waste picking i don't know presently she is still doing it but you see there are these pathways that open up uh, as uh, the girl the daughter is more educated as she enhances her skills so just as there is a, as as kalyani saying that men who were doing something else earlier maybe they were gardeners maybe they were electricians carpenters or something like that in the informal market and maybe they can't compete and they fall back into waste picking similarly waste picker women could also climb up from dirty work to better working conditions and could be better pay also uh, when they stitch clothes or uh, do something else. This is all uh, in, in some ways because of the collectivization that has happened within Waste Pickers in Pune for many years. So that's a different, that that sort of mitigates some of the uh, problems of neoliberalism and of privatization of waste, which could perhaps be experienced in other cities far more in intensely so uh, in in pune uh, the presence of the union and of the cooperative sort of changes the equations here and right and one of the reasons you've identified for why waste because even collectivized was this practice of private sectors taking over profitable segments how did this collectivization happen and how did this change the ability for cities to process waste so uh, one way of looking at it would be in terms of how you have got private parties which are into end of the line, fairly capital intensive solutions for handling of waste. So you could have private parties which then create maybe say a waste to energy plant or, or a waste to fuel plant or a waste processing plant, something of that kind. And once this happens, you could have a lot of material which would otherwise be handled by waste pickers getting diverted to some of these plants. So in a way, waste pickers could then lose access to some of these materials. And this is also somewhat problematic here because within the hierarchy of how waste should get handled, the private parties are then offering solutions which are much worse off. So these could be into maybe say incineration of waste, which is a definitely worse, worse alternative compared to recycling, which is what the waste pickers are into. But then the same materials which the waste pickers are interested in are also what interests these private parties. If we take the case of, say, a waste to energy plant, the same materials which are recyclable are also the ones which will burn with higher energy. Some, the, the same uh, paper, plastic is what would generate that high energy which the private plants would also be interested in. But why should we get into that pathway given the fact that we have the option of recycling them, which is what would initiate the, the possibility of a circular economy. Uh-huh. And I wanted to hear more about how unity among waste pickers was developed, especially since you've written about how waste pickers worked largely autonomously. There, there is this uh, absolutely amazing person, Dr. Purnima Chikarmani, uh, who worked in adult education uh, of the SNDT University and 
and uh, she began to teach uh, literacy uh, to waste pickers and that is how this journey began and she saw how awful their working conditions were and how little they make with the waste that they segregate etc and she and uh, lakshmi narayan her friend together began to consolidate uh, through the literacy classes the women who were uh, who were waste pickers and the the movement kind of snowballed into putting together a union now at that particular point in 92 93 waste pickers also had a stigma of being thieves so if when they are going about if there is a theft in the vicinity then the police would first of all catch the waste picker and say open your sack and let me see what is there in it so they did not have any kind of protection and they were afraid of police uh, along with uh, the you know anybody else who may uh, who may accuse them of the theft so they began to get together to have an id card from the municipality so that was one of the first things that they did uh, that they are a union and that they are a waste picker and they are not thieves they had a, a major struggle to do that and then the pune municipality because they don't they they are self employed they been they can't have any id card of any kind uh, and in those days there was no aadhar or you know there was no other id card and they were very largely migrants so the pune municipality gave them an id card which uh, when we did that paper pagabai very proudly showed to us uh, where they, her photo is there and that she's part of that union and that is how slowly they built you know their strength uh, and began to demand more things uh, from pune municipality and claim that uh, they are legitimate workers not of pune municipality but the fact that they reduce the cost of transportation for pune municipality pune municipality should recognize that see uh, as far as waste picking is concerned the real major struggle to begin with was to even uh, identify with it as a legitimate occupation that a lot of women are actually engaging in and this way the struggle really started off with from what we have been told uh, in the initial years there was also a, a movement for collection of segregated waste from households but then uh, it was point of articulation which was perhaps too uh, ahead of its time and most of the concerns of waste pickers dealt with the actual day to day quotidian challenges that they were facing you know facing from the police facing from municipal officials they were considered as thieves by some people as roni has pointed out they were considered as women who came from the the lower caste in fact this uh, this articulation uh, which we were told that uh, a lot of these women could not get into uh, domestic Uh, household work around that time because they were considered as women coming from the lower caste this is of course way back in the 70s and 80s but some of these stigmas were responsible for pushing them into waste collection and here they were getting harassed by the police largely so the concerns of the women were were, were centered on what can be done regarding countering the uh, these these harassment and which is what the uh, union initially worked upon so how to engage with the police how to engage with the municipal corporations that these women could continue with their work i mean there are so many instances where we have been told that police could round them up if there is a theft in a locality or they could simply they could simply take over their sack and in some cases even burn them perhaps so these are all forms of harassment which the women were facing in those years of the early 1990s and uh, the initial work of the union was to establish 
the legitimacy of this as an occupation and which is where the the issue of identity cards really comes through so initially the trade union had issued i cards of their own which then got endorsed by the pune municipal corporation i think in 1995 and one year later in uh, the adjoining municipal corporation of pimpri chinswad so this established the fact that these are women who are into waste collection so this is how that early phase of collectivization uh, was initiated and these were some of the issues that they were working on and around that time from what i recollect there were certain other concerns that the union was also quite active in for instance most of these women uh, they had no sources of credit so it was not uncommon for them to be charged very high rates of interest something as high as maybe say 20 rupees a day uh, 20% a day rather so which means that you are given 100 rupees in the morning and you are expected to repay 120 in the evening so these are uh, some very trying circumstances that the waste pickers were working in and for the union it was important to understand what could be done to sort of break this chain so the only party which was which which considered waste pickers as worthy of credit were the scrap dealers and which then tied up the uh, waste pickers to those specific so- shops from where they were taking those credits and the work of the union was to try and sort of break this loop and they did this by uh, getting into or rather creating a credit society of their own at the same time in order to counter the problems of controversial valuations of waste with the scrap dealers the waste pickers union also started off uh, a shop of their own which in many ways became like a barometer of waste prices in the city so uh, they they initially started off with only one shop but whatever prices were getting quoted at that shop the women could use that as a reference whenever they were selling off in other shops right and you've written that under the conditions of neoliberalism workers are often negotiating quote more favorable terms of dispossession end quote What are some ways informal workers have resisted and negotiated these terms? Actually, give an example. Uh, in in front of our eyes, in uh, in Pimpri Chinswad, the 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 Twin City, there was Swach, which is the which is the cooperative of uh, the the KKPKP, which was working uh, in one ward. So there are two wards in in Pimpri Chinswad. In one ward, Swach was working. and they were using user fees so households had to pay some 20 30 rupees per month so that she collects the, the waste from door to door which was her income uh, in the other ward a private party began to work they do, did not charge any money from the households so within one city half of the city is paying for a service which the other half is getting for free it's it's extremely interesting a case on which we are we are working on it right now actually the uh, municipality did not spend any money at all when swachh is working in that ward whereas it was spending uh, millions of rupees f- to conduct the waste collection and all in the second ward now but but no no money was paid by by the uh, by the households so swachh had to stop working and they went to court and they the the area where swachh was working another private party took over so this is it's like galloping capitalism you know completely leaving the the uh, the local union out of it and both the wards began a private party working in waste door to door collection everything but done by private parties not by swachh 
So when Swatch went to court, see, they demanded that their workers be taken as contract workers in the private party. And the court fav- gave them a favorable decision. And so these very workers who actually were in, in cooperative started working in a private firm as contract labor. So they did not lose their job, but there is a certain amount of dispossession that did take place, although they fought it, you know. So this is a very interesting example of neoliberalism, wherein private players are preferred to a, a cooperative of uh, of informal workers and the the rights that the informal workers had get denied to them although they fight it and they try to get it back you know but it is not possible to have it every time i mean this time they won it but every time they may not win it uh-huh and could you share some of the unanswered questions that you continue to investigate See, when we started uh, working on uh, waste and we came about working on this idea of a right to waste for waste pickers, this was a part of a bigger project combined with a right against waste as well. And this was especially from the lens of, of peri-urban villages, which become the sites of urban landfill. So uh, this is something that we are trying to document as well, the journey of the landfill in Pune and the struggles uh, of the local villages against the waste coming from from the city so then we have a right to waste for waste pickers uh, which could then be juxtaposed with a right against waste of the the villages living in the vicinity of the landfill uh-huh. that sounds quite interesting and i'm really looking forward to reading your new work something we ask all our guests on the show is what they see as the role of their research in terms of furthering equity uh, both of us me and kalyan we think we are sort of chroniclers of of a social movement you know which uh, began in pune and our, our idea is to actually bring together or rather create a pool of people who are more informed about waste and then can uh, pass on that further and we are trying to create this pool of students researchers who would then work more intensively on waste on different dimensions of it of course and there are there are just too many of these dimensions for us to to ignore them actually there definitely are and thank you so much dr roeni and dr shankar for sharing answers to some of them with us today thank you thank you those who practice waste picking are usually from lower castes and classes and among waste pickers those who are doing dangerous and devalued labor are women despite the economic environmental and public health value of their work the state avoids fairly remunerating them and equipping them with necessary safety equipment what i like most from the interview however was the manner in which workers organize themselves against state apathy and privatization I do recommend reading the full article published by Professor Roeni and Professor Shankar in EPW and I've shared a link to it in the description of this podcast. Next week, Professor Anu Mohammad will join us to discuss NGOs in Bangladesh. How did they emerge? How have some become corporatized and much more? His research is particularly important given that Bangladesh hosts the largest non-governmental organization, BRAC, and the largest microfinance institution, Grameen Bank. Subscribe to us so that you don't miss out on it. We're available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Jio Savan, Overcast, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. This is the ninth episode of our season, and we would love to hear from you about how we're doing. Thank you so much to those who've already written to us. Send us an email with your feedback at social at epw.in or you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. If you like what we're doing, do share it with interested folks.
take care and i'll see you next week